in this um, four-week series on the blind man in John chapter 9. And we're going to continue on and see exactly what uh, started to happen with the religious establishment after this guy was healed, as we saw last week. Now, when many of us think about rebellion, probably what comes to mind is bad behavior. We think of things like vandalism, uh, shootings, like we heard about in the news and even in our prayer this morning, a disrespect for authority, car bombings, shoplifting, drugs, and rioting. But rebellion, in and of itself, is not actually a bad thing. What makes rebellion sinful is what you are rebelling against, and also the manner in which you carry out your rebellion. There are many examples of good rebellion. Just take the example of Cory Ten Boom, who rebelled against the Nazis' plan to exterminate the Jews by hiding them in her house. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also rebelled against the Nazis' suppression of religious freedom and served and organized the underground confessing church in Germany. There's also Martin Luther, who rebelled against the church's selling of indulgences, supposedly a way to buy yourself into heaven. Martin Luther, knowing that this was unbiblical, rebelled against the church. There's also Martin Luther King, who rebelled against racism in America. We can think of Gandhi, who rebelled against the political and cultural infighting between Muslims and Hindus. In the Bible, we've got Daniel, who rebelled against the king when the king made it a law that no one was allowed to pray to God. And Daniel rebelled against that and prayed anyway and was thrown into the lion's den. We have New Testament examples like the Apostle Peter when he rebelled against the authorities when they told Peter that he was to no longer speak about Jesus Christ. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than people. And Jesus We find rebelling against the laws and the religious cultural practices that were added to the Bible and ended up keeping people in darkness. So rebellion is not necessarily a bad thing. It's what you are rebelling against and it's the manner in which you are carrying out the rebellion that mattered. In fact, Jesus was a rebel. And yet without sin. The very reason that Jesus was hung on a cross was for rebellion. We're all sinful. And we are all in rebellion against God. In the negative sense of rebellion. Every single one of us wants to be our own boss. Every fight has to do with me being in the center of it. As some people have said, which is a good reminder of what sin is, just look at the middle letter of sin. It's I. Sin is about putting I first. 
It's about me. Me before God, me before others. But Christ came to set us free from our rebellion, our rebellion against God and our rebellion against one another, so that we no longer need to be rebels against God. But that doesn't mean that Jesus freed us from being rebels altogether. In fact, he just turned the direction of our rebellion. He turned our direction from rebellion towards God to rebellion against those things that are anti-God or anti-Christ. We are still rebels. We're just rebels with a different cause. Coming to Christ doesn't stop us from rebellion. It merely changes the direction of our rebellion. We are in rebellion to the patterns, to the conformities and the ungodliness of the world. One thing, unfortunately, that I believe that makes us weak Christians is when we don't live a life of rebellion. Too many of us as Christians are too placid in the expression of our faith. When God has called us and has saved us to be rebels. Now, I don't mean to be a rebel against those cultural things like hairstyles, clothing, musical tastes. When Christians rebel against those things, they simply become irrelevant. We've seen the church do that many times, and it just becomes a complete irrelevance to society and a mere cultural club for certain people with particular tastes. What I'm talking about in regards to real rebellion is the kinds of things that God has called us to be, a rebe- to be a rebel against, the kinds of things that we see Jesus rebelling against. And that is things like greed and anger and rage, lust, bitterness, divisiveness, revenge, worldly success. It's those kinds of things that we have been called to be rebels against, to rebel against those sinful habits. Unfortunately, as we're going to see in today's story, religious establishments tend to rebel against the stupid things that don't matter and make big deals about little things while often supporting the sinful things that do matter. And letting those things infect the very institution of the religious establishment. This is exactly what happens after the blind man is healed. John chapter 9, I'm going to reread the story that we read last time. And then just continue on with a couple of verses to show us how the religious leaders responded to what Jesus did. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must come to do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I 
am the light of the world. Having then said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam. This word meant sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg all the time? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like the same guy. But he himself insisted and said, No, 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 I am the man. Well, how then are your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, and so I went and I washed, and when I did, I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So they then brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees reasoned from this, well obviously this man cannot be from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said... How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so, they were divided. After Jesus made his rebellious rebellious statement in the Jewish temple, when he claimed to be the light of the world, when Jesus in the temple made those rebellious statements that claimed that he had some kind of special, unique, unified relationship, With God whom he called his father. When the the Jewish leaders were writing Jesus off as a madman. Someone possessed by a demon. And yet Jesus pushed back and said. I'm actually the same God as the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. The kinds of statements that caused the religious leaders to pick up stones. To stone Jesus for blasphemy. For rebellion towards God and towards the religious establishment. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 10, which we're eventually going to get to, once again, Jesus makes that kind of claim in which we read in chapter 10, the Jews saying to Jesus, we are not stoning you for any of these miracles, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Following Jesus' rebellious light of the world statement in the temple, he then leaves the temple, sees a blind man, and once again claims to be the light of the world. But as a rebel, Jesus also heals the blind man in a particular way that every single one of his actions is a rebellion towards society and the religious institution that has been set up in that society at that time. In this healing, Jesus is making a strong religious and 
a strong political statement. See, Jesus messes with the life perspective of all of us. He messes with our religion. He messes with the way that we view the world through our lens. He's going to do that with the religious institution of his day. He's going to do that with the crowds. He's done that with the blind man. And he's done that over and over throughout, his, throughout society with his disciples to this very day. He is the light of the world who, when he shines, makes everything look different. First off, we note that Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath. Now, this is big for Jesus. He seems to do almost every other one of his miracles on the Sabbath day. And you're thinking, why does Jesus do this? I mean, the guy is a blind man. He's not a dying man. The guy's not dying on the Sabbath, and so Jesus comes in and rescues him from life. He's merely blind. He's been blind all of his life. Why can't Jesus just wait till Sunday? Why can't Jesus have done it the day before on Friday? Why do it on the Sabbath? The guy could wait one more day. Why doesn't he be a little more respectful to the institution of the day? And yet it seems that Jesus goes out of his way to make sure he does his miracles on the Sabbath. The result, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, that's all the conclusion I need. This man is obviously not from God. He breaks the law. How can he be a prophet from God and break one of the Ten Commandments? Obviously, this is not a man from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. In fact, in the Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament law, it actually forbids someone from healing someone else's eyes with saliva on the Sabbath. It's that specific. Now, we won't get into the superstitious views about saliva in the ancient world, uh, but saliva was often thought about as having healing components uh, to it in some kind of a superstitious way. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't need to use saliva. We have other occasions where Jesus heals a blind man where he doesn't use saliva. So why in this instance does Jesus do that? In fact, the verse actually says that Jesus spit on the ground, he made some mud, and then he put it on the man's eyes, and then told him to go wash. Why give us all the details? Why tell us every single thing that he did, which almost looks like Jesus is performing magic? Well, we have to understand the context. We have to understand the Jesus' setting, and how each of those things would have been interpreted in that setting. And that is that we noted that healing with saliva was forbidden on the Sabbath, as the Talmud said. But not only was healing with saliva forbidden on the Sabbath, and so Jesus almost makes a point of using saliva, but also spitting was forbidden on the Sabbath. 
Jesus' very act of going broke the law. It's almost like Jesus saying, that's what I think of your law. Which also, when you go on, according to the Mishnah, now the Mishnah is a commentary on the Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament law. In the Mishnah, it lists kneading mud into a ball, among 39 other things, as also being prohibited on the Sabbath. And so, kneading dirt into mud was forbidden on the Sabbath. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, okay, perfect, blind man, it's it's the Sabbath. Wait till everybody's looking around. Okay, broke the law by spitting. Then he goes down. You watch me work, starts working, then he puts it on the man's eyes, which is now showing that there's going to be some healing component. Everything Jesus is doing, spitting on the ground, making mud, putting it on the man's eyes, and doing it on the Sabbath, you don't think Jesus is a rebel? He's going out of his way to make a point. It's like someone belching out loud spilling their coffee, and letting their phone ring while the sermon is going on in church. Someone like that is either extremely clumsy, rude, or they're trying to make a point. Jesus was trying to make a point. Last week, I was having lunch with uh, Father David Hughes from Holy uh, Spirit Catholic Church in New Westminster. And we were talking about Jesus' ministry, and uh, Father David said to me, why do so many of our parishioners get this idea that Jesus was this weak and this soft person? He said to me, Jesus was a real poop disturber, except he didn't use the word poop, which I guess is okay for Catholics, but, but not for us Baptists. I mean, Jesus really stirred things up. And if that wasn't bad enough, if Jesus didn't break the law by spitting, break the law by making mud, break the law by using saliva to heal, break the law by doing it on the Sabbath, he also told the man to go and wash. Well, some religious teachers also believe that washing was prohibited on the Sabbath. So now, not only is Jesus being a rebel in the fact that he's doing these things, but now he's telling somebody else to break the law. Go out of your way, now you go wash. Yeah, but that's against the Sabbath. Just just go wash, and you'll be healed. Like when Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He also heals the paralyzed man on the Sabbath day. And what does he tell the paralyzed man to do? We, not understanding the culture, think it's a throwaway statement. Jesus says, now that you're healed, pick up your mat and walk. The guy picks up his mat, doesn't walk more than half a block. All the religious police come after him and condemn him for carrying his mat on the Sabbath. What does he say? Yeah, but that Jesus guy told me to. He healed you on the Sabbath? That breaks the law. And he told you to pick up your mat and walk? That means he told you to break the law too. Who is this guy? Jesus was a rebel with a cause. Someone I am sure we would have been extremely uncomfortable with if he lived today. Someone 
who I'm not sure how long he'd last on staff here at Bethany. And sure enough, he set, upset everyone's cultural and religious constitutions. And for some people, this was all the proof they needed. No one like this could actually be from God. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He breaks the rules. He breaks the Sabbath. So here today, or some here today, probably grew up in a church environment which was more concerned with all the things you can't do on the Sabbath than having a real biblical understanding of what the Sabbath was for. I know I, in my earlier years too, grew up in an environment like that. Some people even wanted to, and some people still today too, want to make Sabbath laws for Sunday to be societal laws. Let's force everybody in society to lock up their stores on Sundays. And so we kind of impose these Sabbath laws upon non-Christians and people in the world. And some want to advocate for that. Well, let me give you five points about the Sabbath to make you hopefully have a different perspective on it. First off, the Sabbath is, is on Saturday, not Sunday. So that's just one little thing to there we need to make note of. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Secondly, the Sabbath has nothing to do with going to church. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, on the Sabbath day, go to church. In fact, nowhere in the Old Testament does it even say, on the Sabbath day, go to synagogue. The Sabbath is not about working, it's about not working. Not about not playing. The Sabbath, the idea behind the Sabbath was not about going to church or going to synagogue. The idea behind Sabbath was to have a day of rest. And note that it's a day of rest. It's not a day of not playing. I've never been able to understand the idea that we need to ban people from going ice skating and playing football on the Sabbath day. I mean, there's a few people that that's their occupation. But for most of us, I don't get how throwing a football is working. Fourth, work and rest are different for different people. If one person works with books and ideas all week long, then working in their garden on the Sabbath is maybe a very restful thing. On the other hand, if you are a greenhouse worker, you may find sitting back with a book restful. On the Sabbath. So who makes the rules? Who makes the rules as to what is really rest and what is really work? And now the fifth and the most important point for us Christians is that Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath so that it's no longer about a day of the week, but about finding our rest in Christ. This is something that has been lost in some segments of the church. I think it's just by not having a very grounded understanding of the scriptures. Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus. This is clearly taught in the book of Hebrews. It's also alluded to in Colossians and Romans and 1 Corinthians. Saturday Sabbath rest was an illustration pointing forward to our ultimate rest in Jesus Christ. 
This is one of the big reasons why Jesus did so many of his things on the Sabbath. He was saying the Sabbath is being fulfilled here, now, before you. The ultimate rest, the ultimate healing, the ultimate fulfillment is now here. And he's illustrating it by these healing miracles. So it's the same like the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed lambs. We don't do that anymore today. Why? Because Jesus became the fulfillment of the sacrificial lamb, which was the illustration. In the same way as Christians, ultimately, we don't practice Sabbath anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, the same way that he was the fulfillment of the sacrificial lamb. Sabbath is found in Jesus, not in a day of the week. And because of Jesus, we no longer practice a Saturday Sabbath or a Sunday Sabbath. Now, certainly that doesn't mean that having rest in your life isn't an important virtue. Those are certainly things that we need to practice, having rest in our life so that we're not just workaholics and that we have good balance in our life. But that's something completely separate from the idea, biblically, of Sabbath. That's why Paul writes in Colossians, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Hear that? That's rebellion. Jesus disarmed, he destroyed, he tore down the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them by them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen to what it says. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or what you drink. Don't let anyone condemn you for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ is that reality. Sabbath is only a shadow. It's only a shadow pointing to the reality that is yet to come, but now the reality has come. It's Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone condemn you if you want to celebrate a Sabbath or if you don't want to celebrate a Sabbath or a religious holiday or not a religious holiday. It's up to you. Jesus has fulfilled these things, and because of Christ, we now operate according to the freedom of conscience, which is actually one of our, even our NAB statement of beliefs, the freedom of conscience. And to have freedom and to be able to worship in the freedom of conscience also means that we don't have the right to impose our conscience on someone else. If someone wants to observe A Saturday Sabbath, like the seven-day Adventists, that's their conscience. They don't have a right to impose that on us. And we don't have a right to impose what we believe upon them. It's up to conscience. Recognizing ultimately that none of these ceremonies or Sabbath days or any of those things matter anymore because the fulfillment has come in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Not so much, do you pick a day of the week in which you rest? What matters now is, have you found your rest in Jesus Christ? That's where rest is found. That's what Sabbath was pointing to. That's what the Old Testament sacrificial lamb was pointing to. And so Jesus rebelled against 
the system. And what's a bit scary is if we really want to get biblical about it, Jesus makes a lot of our cultural practices today suspect. Whether we're Lutherans or Baptists or Pentecostals, we, if we're going to take a real biblical look at things, we've got to say, man, Jesus would be rebelling against some of our institutional rules that we've been imposing upon one another just as much as he did back then. It's funny, a lot of people uh, say to me, you know, Steph, I'm, I'm, we're looking for like a, uh, somebody who just preaches the Bible. And then as soon as the Bible starts getting preached, they're like, ugh. I kind of get uncomfortable because of a lot of what I assumed was true. I started to discover wasn't really biblical. Do we put everything through the lens of biblical teaching? If so, we're going to find Jesus spitting on the ground, making some mud, putting it on the man's eyes, and doing it on the Sabbath. It's called rebellion. In the good sense. Jesus is calling the blind man. In other words, Jesus is calling us, his followers, to join the rebellion. You now, my follower, you blind man, you who now have been given eyes to see, you now and go break the Sabbath too. Go wash in the pool. Start breaking the religious rules. Reject the world's customs and practices. And open your eyes to begin to see with a new perspective. Many of the early church fathers here saw an analogy to baptism. That just like in baptism, when we're washed by the waters of baptism, we are given new life in the same way. When this man went to the pool and he washed his eyes, he was given new sight. We now identify with Jesus. The blind man was now able to rebel against the cultural messages that were given to him. You're just a blind man. You're nothing. You've probably got sin in your life. Or maybe it's your parents' sin that you're like this. You're useless to society. He could now begin to rebel against those messages. And begin to live the true messages that God has for him. It was a decision that this man chose to follow faithfully what Jesus asked him to do at the pool that was going to put him at odds with the religious establishment. It's interesting how when we really get connected with Jesus, we get in trouble with religion. We see that with the blind man, they're condemning Jesus. Next week, we're going to see how they, they come down on, on this blind man very hard. We see that with the paralyzed man. We see that with Lazarus himself. Can you imagine? Laz Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead, and then the religious leaders want to kill him because Jesus did that. They find it a threat. It's always uh, difficult being a pastor, and, and Pastor Jerry would know this well, that the hardest people Jesus is against is guys like you and me. Because we can get so caught up in being, playing the game of religion. And as you even said in your testimony, missing the heart. 
being so particular about making sure everybody follows the rules and is in line or is, is, is doing it my way that we miss the freedom of what Christ has done for all of us. Jesus broke the rules and following Jesus' instructions, this man broke the rules. And when he did, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for each and every one of you. That you will begin to see. See with new eyes. See past the garbage. In fact, be in rebellion towards the garbage so that you can see properly. You see, we don't offer Sunday school here at Bethany to teach children etiquette. We don't offer Sunday school to teach you how to be a good citizen. We offer Sunday school to train rebels so that they can see through the lies of corporate success. They can see through the lies of material gain, political solutions, military answers, ideological agendas, heresy hunts. Every time we stand together in church and we say the Apostles' Creed, we are standing in rebellion. Before I am a Canadian or a Piva, before I'm a conservative or a liberal, before I'm a Lions or a Canuck fan, before I am a father, before I am a husband, before my loyalty to Starbucks or Roots or Nike, I pledge allegiance to Christ as Lord. How has worship lost its edge? Worship is an act of rebellion. Worship in the earliest church the creed was three words. Jesus is Lord. It's, it's almost cliche to say that today. But do you want to know what those three words were also saying? Caesar is not Lord. Because in order to be a good citizen of society, you had to confess Caesar as Lord, and Christians refused. Those three words were what got them thrown into the lions. Those three words are what got Christians accused of being anarchists. How do you like that? Our forefathers were considered anarchists. Because they refused to say, Caesar is God. And they said, Jesus is God. Sometimes in the church, we've baptized Caesar into our church. We've baptized culture into our church. We have the same definitions of success. We have the same views on marriage. We have the same perspectives on what it means to be a successful young person, as society does. What does it mean to look, what does it look like when we say Jesus is Lord, not society? I once was blind, but now I see. And now that I see, I'm dangerous. Blind obedience to anything is unacceptable. All my other loyalties in life are fluid 
because of the one who opened my eyes. Jesus is Lord. He comes before everyone and everything else. And that's what it means to be a follower of the rebellious one. It means to join the rebellion. My hope for each and every one of you today is that you will choose to join the rebellion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are the Lord. And Lord, we align ourselves with you. We join your army. We join your movement and we stand with you against the principalities and powers of this world that infiltrate our churches, our government, our malls, our media. We pray, God, that we will align ourselves rightly with you so that we will be a people of discernment, that we will be a people who will follow you as you are the light of the world. We will follow you as you called us to be, that we will be the lights of the world, that your light will shine through us. We will not hide ourselves under a bush, but that we will shine. We recognize, Jesus, that even like in the scriptures, when we shine with your light, it means that it will divide things. When you did things, Jesus, the people were divided. And we recognize that, Lord. We pray that we will be a people that will rebel in such a way that it will cause people to have to choose. Whose side are you on? We pray for God that you go ahead, that you prepare people's hearts. Because only with you preparing hearts will people be willing to join your side. We pray that we will stay loyal to you. And we pray for more to come and to join you. In your name we pray. Amen.